Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Western Honey Hub podcast. Elk season's rolling, and it's fun to see uh, all the pictures and things of people having some success. Looks like a great year. Guys are having having a lot of lot of success so that's great um makes me a little bummed or a lot bummed i'm not in the elk woods this year uh but gives me motivation for another year to uh to get after it and i'm sure many of you guys out of a elk hunting state can relate to that so but it's still early early september and there's a lot of elk season left so i wanted to give you one more elk hunting episode this one is with marcus simmons with everything outdoors we talk elk hunting so enjoy this one with muck simmons i live in the southeastern part of the like i'm only uh i'm probably only i don't know 100 100 miles from north dakota so i'm uh i'm uh in the northeast part of the province and uh we have lots of sharp tail and pheasant and hungarian partridge oh sure yeah we only get our but i small covey what kind of, of a dog do you have uh llewellyn setter and no idea what that is it's it's basically an english setter but the llewellyn is what is being traced back to a certain lineage so or a pedigree gotcha. so it's just one of them fancy dogs. I, I'm sure as I kind of get in the field, I'll make fun of, be made fun of because um, you kind of got your setters, your hunters, and then you have your lab people. <laughs> and um, typically your fancy dog people are carrying their over-unders. I'll be carrying my nice uh, pump, Benelli Nova. <laughs> That's the way I roll. Uh, I, I've got a retired pup now, but I've had her forever um she's 13 i've got a german short hair pointer and uh uh, there's so many so many of my friends have hunted over got their very first rooster over uh i've got a night i've got a really nice uh 37 bar rooster that uh i'm looking at in my basement here right now that my dog brought back and she's hunted so hard for so many years but she's been retired for the last two years so oh yeah i haven't I haven't done it. I haven't done a ton of birds since I retired her because she's like, she was my, my buddy and we hunted so many birds together. And when, when I, when I retired her, she, I just haven't had the energy to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it's going to be a newer thing for me to get back into pheasant hunting. That's something I haven't, or, or uh, grouse hunting. It's something I haven't done a whole lot of uh, in a while. So I have to. I I, I want to do this dog justice, and the guy that gave it gave it to me. I talked to him today, and and uh, he was he was like, yeah. And there's something about those dogs. They literally hunt in their sleep. And I was like, you ain't kidding. This dog is hunting flies around the house. It's it's pointing flies, and then I I kill them. And she's like, okay, where's the next one? It was like hunting all the time. And it's drives my, she's used to my golden retriever that is really nice floor decor um, that doesn't move. And he's the most gentle dog ever. But this setter too is we've got a four month old and that he, he, she is just gentle and does a really good job. She's a good family dog, but. Well, elk and elk and black bears are my thing. So oh, sweet. I'll help you wherever I can. Cool. Well, we've done, we just had a few, few pretty good black bear things going on. I'm headed to Minnesota for my very first, uh, baited or, uh, over, over bait bear hunt. That's, that's going to be a new thing for me. I've, I've just hunted bears in Colorado and that's more of an opportunistic. You got to cover ground and find them. Whereas over bait is going to be a little different, but at least I'm getting to do it with my my bow. So I'm excited about that. Have you seen the bear that I got this spring? No, I didn't. I got a 550 pound, 22 oh. and five sixteenths. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, that was a spring bear too. Can you imagine how big he'd be in Holy the big? Holy crap. In the, in the, no kidding. Yeah. 22 and five sixteenths and, uh, got him with my bow and, uh, yeah, he's a giant. Holy smokes. We actually thought, we actually thought that, um, before we skinned him, I thought his head, I thought his skull would be 23. That's how big he, his head was. His neck was, uh, 43 inches round. I just see that. And his now. chest, chest was 65 inches. Holy crap. That does not look like a fresh out of the dens. <laughs> Jeepers. You know, I've had, I've had that bear on camera for four years and, uh, been, but he's been nocturnal. And he only daylighted to like, he's come out to daylight lots, especially in June when the rut was on, but never when I was there, like that bear knew I was whenever I was there. And, uh, yeah, this night, uh, June 2nd, he slipped up and he didn't want to come in the bait, but he really, but he really wanted to, but he didn't want to actually come into the bait. So he just kept walking around And If I'd had a gun, I'd have shot him a hundred times. Cause he was just out of bow range, kind of just real shifty. And then I ranged this spot with my rangefinder, I'm like, okay, if he goes by that spot again, I'm pretty sure I can make that shot. And sure enough, he came in right before dark and went right exactly that spot. And I slipped an arrow right into him. Oh man. Well, here's a question then. Um, I I've hunted bears and know like their eyesight isn't quite as good as deer, but I mean, their nose kind of makes up for that. Uh, when you're in a tree stand and they're coming in, is it, do you hunt them just like a deer with the very little movement or can you get away with a little more? Well, if the big bears, you can't like they, they see everything. Hmm. Um, the smaller and the medium sized bears, you can actually talk and you can like, if you have a friend in the stand, like they, they seem to be way more comfortable with you, mm-hmm. but the big bears, like anything that are 20 and above, um, 
they you <laughs> it's funny because this bear had me pegged so much that I I would like if you I self filmed it too so um you could hear in the camera you could hear me talking to myself whereas I was like I would I was afraid to even make eye contact with him because I was afraid that he was going to he would spook so I'd be like don't look at him don't look at him don't look at him don't look at him and I'd be like don't move don't move don't move because um yeah any any movement and like it's weird like I got that bear and the very next night one of my best friends hit brought his son up never hunted big game before with a was going to shoot a bear with a crossbow thinking you know a 200 pounder or something like that and the second biggest bear I've ever seen in my life came in that night. It was a brown bear. And um, they were in the stand next to me. I was in the stand right to the right of them. And when that bear came in, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this, this bear is so big. And uh, so I was filming, and it chased off a small little 100-pounder off the bait. And then those guys must have moved. I never saw it, but I saw the bear look at them, and then he turned around and walked away. Never came back. Hmm. So they and I remember looking at Darren saying, "How come you know? How come he didn't shoot?" And well, he's a young kid. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, it was like he thought maybe the bear would give him a better shot. But there was a time where he could have shot him broadside at the bait. But um, but that's how KGR is. Like they must have moved or did something because I saw the bear look at them and then just turned around and walked away. He didn't run away. He just walked away. So those big bears, it's you cannot move in the stand. Uh, you know, like I said, the the intermediate bears, you know, like the eighteen to nineteen inch bears, you can usually get away with. Uh, you, like I, I know I've had friends in there where we talk and you know screw around because they're not the big ones but as soon as the big ones come in i you cannot move oh okay yeah i it'll be uh interesting i'm gonna do it from a tree saddle too that's kind of a new thing for me we'll see how that goes gotcha. um and then shop well you know they make they make really good stands nowadays that have big platforms yeah so uh get yourself one of those and you know what i tell everybody when it comes to uh baiting bears and not that I have to justify it, but what I tell people is um, when when they hunt with me, it's only archery hunting because the baits are fairly close, mm-hmm. but it's more selective hunting. It's more um, taking the mature bears, you know, not shooting the sows. Um, and so when people say, oh, it's, you know, you're hunting over a bait, it's not fair. It's, it's the opposite. I think, you know, in... I guided in BC for my whole entire adult life. And if it was a black bear and it was a good size, we shot it. Like we didn't have time to sex it or anything like that. Like it was, it was just a, you know, if you were lucky enough to find a nice bear in the wild, you're hoping it was a boar, but you'd take a sow in here. I mean, you don't have to rush to, you know, you don't, you don't have to rush to shoot. So like I always tell everybody, especially I love taking first time bear hunters that's never shot a bear before or never shot a bow uh, at a, at a big game animal. The black bear is the, the perfect hunt for that over bait because you don't have to rush to shoot anything. You sit in the stand for eight, 10 hours, look at, you know, 20, 30 bears and then pick the one that you want to take. And that's what I always say. Like for me, I've, I've been fortunate enough to up the, the bear every year. And I mean, I'll never beat war pigs, the bigger bear I got, but, 
um, I've been lucky enough to be, you know, I got an 18 incher and I got an 18 and then almost 19 and then I got a 20 incher and then I got the 22 incher. And so, I mean, it's always been sort of selected. Now I'm going to, my, my task is to try to find a color phase, a nice big color oh, phase sure. bear. Yep. And, um, so that's what I always tell everybody. Like if there's one way to get people into hunting, black bear hunting over bait is the absolute guaranteed yeah. way to do it. Cause they're always for the most part, always going to see something and it's fairly, fairly easy to hunt. So, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that. And then I got another tip today, just about shot placement on them being a little further back. Is that pretty true? Then say, well, say a what, deer what, or... yes, like the way bears are is like, if you shoot them right behind the shoulder or right under the shoulder, like you would a deer, you know, that you really the only good chance you have is a heart shot. So what, what I always tell everybody when I, when I'm, when they talk in placement is point at the middle of a bear. So like, if you're looking at a bear point at the middle of them and, and then just go four inches to the right or left, whichever is closest to the front shoulder. And that's where you want to go. So it's, it's really, really easy. You just, put that pin right in the center and then just move a couple of inches to the right or left and let her and send it. And you'll always get the, the lungs. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of like that <laughs> shot on, on deer and elk anyway, just hitting the big mass of the lungs. I don't really like trying to aim it low, right in the pocket there. I just love big lung shots. And then, and I, maybe by accident, that's where my arrow tends to go anyway, because it, uh, uh, I fall apart and was an animal comes up close to me. So totally different. <laughs> well, you know, you know that a bow and arrow is so devastating. Like arrows are so devastating. If you get them in the lungs, they're not going far. Right. Right. Well, um, I, I'll add this little piece in there cause it was good stuff, but, uh, yeah, I'll let's get rolling. And if you wouldn't mind real quick, just introduce yourself. Um, kind of what your background is and yeah, what, what you'd like people to know about you. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. Um, as we were talking before, um, elk and kind of black bear are my two most favorite animals to hunt. And for me, it started, I'm a prairie guy in southeastern Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, but I moved um, every fall, I'd moved to northern BC and hunt as a big game guide. And I kind of fell in love with elk hunting. And when I first went to BC, well, I started the Yukon first and then went to BC, northern BC. Um, I hunted everything. Like I guided for mountain goats, sheep, uh, elk, moose, uh, black bears. But as I got sort of more senior at that, I fell in love with elk hunting and elk calling in particular. And so my last sort of seven, eight years I worked there, that's all I did was just elk hunter after elk hunter and elk. And, uh, after I got done guiding, I kind of sort of freelance did some filming for guys and guys would, you know, fly me out to Arizona and, uh, Montana or someplace like that, wherever they had a hunt elk hunt. And I would film it for them as well as, as, uh, calling. I kind of took the calling and, uh, fell in love with that. And yeah, I, uh, the last about 25 years I've been doing elk hunting elk calling seminars where I try to help people, um, do some calling and using calling into, in the, and hunting strategies kind of together. And I think there's lots of people, um, 
are intimidated with hunting or calling. And, uh, I just try to alleviate that by, uh, giving them some tips. Yeah. And, uh, for me, I'm, I'm, I full-time police officer here in uh, Saskatchewan and Regina, uh, 18 years I've been at that. So I try to do the hunting on the side, but uh, I always say I work so that I can hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you found a little success on the stage too, uh, doing some elk calling, it looks like. So, um, that, uh, kind of speaks to what you're able to do. Um, I, I had quick question first on, uh, I'm not sure season structure kind of in, in BC and, um, kind of got a few other Western States here down here figured out as to what those season structures are, but parts of the season, we got early season in that late August, early September, kind of that mid season and then late season. What's your, for, for archery and, and rut hunting, um, what is your probably favorite time to hunt? And I'm going to assume it has something to do with how you communicate with them because it sounds like you enjoy calling. I mean, that's why we elk hunt. We like talking to them. Um, what's it? What, yeah. Like I would. Yeah. Go ahead. What's, I, I what's would say, um, you know, I've, I've done so many, I've guided so many hunts, like over 200, um, hunts I've guided for. And I've kind of kept track about that exact kind of question that you're asking mm. about when's the best time. And I've actually got it pinned to the, the actual best day for hunting. Believe it or not, I've got this uh, over the years is the 18th uh, of September is the absolute best day. <laughs> it's so you said it in your, when you, in your question is like early season, kind of late season, but for, for elk, the early season is that, you know, 25th to the, say the 7th of September and historically the bulls will start whistling in that time, but they're not overly receptive to you calling back. Mm. And so, and plus generally it's tougher hunting that time of the year because you're running into a lot of the four uh, trees have lots of leaves on it. You could run into um, really warm temperatures and stuff like that. So the early season for um, archery, you know, it can be successful if you run into a bull that's really receptive, but it seems like as soon as you move into that second, third week of September, uh, when the bulls do have cows already and they're very vocal, like they're, um, you know, they're trying to service all the cows that they can, as well as fend off all the other bulls that are trying to steal those cows. Um, so yeah, like the, the, the start of the third week of the, of September is, is the absolute best, uh, what I would consider full rut, uh, the most bugling that goes on. And they're generally the most receptive at that time of the year. And you just might've kicked out a number of hunters too. Like the, you get a good chunk of the people that are excited and want to get out the first, first opening day and blah, blah, blah. Um, and maybe the, some of them have left now in Colorado where I do a lot of my elk hunting, that's, sort not really the case it can be times it's still just an orange or not orange because they're archery hunting but still vehicles at every trailhead but you can you can get away um that's interesting i i think that's funny how you how uh you got it down to a day um but maybe maybe around that time time frame kind of what's your your game plan maybe that's a an example of a hunt that sticks out 
uh, and why that's been or so successful and maybe some of those calls and things you've used in the, in the process. Well, the reason I find that the, the third week of September is the best, either rifle or archery, is because the bulls are so receptive to the call. Like when you're hunting archery season early, um, if you're so lucky, well, you, you have such a small time frame when they're vocal, um, and that is usually dependent on the weather. So like if they're whistling first light, they generally stop whistling so early that it's really tough to get on uh, on a bull. Uh, you know, if the weather turns cold, you know, you might, it, that might bump that up a little bit sooner or make them a little bit more receptive, but I just find that it's so weather dependent. As soon as you, it, it starts to get really cold in the, in the evenings and early mornings. And that's generally mid September. That, um, is why I say that that's so good, but primarily if you are in good elk habitat and good area, if you whistle and they whistle back, generally you have time to, um, you know, go get them or bring them to you, however you're hunting. So that's why I'm always say that, like, I, I get that question so much about, um, archery season and, you know, how people can be successful. And, and you certainly can, like, I'm not discouraging anybody from going out at, you know, the end of August or the beginning of September. It's just that there's a lot of things that you're working against at that point. And generally the, the cows aren't, um, in estrus at that time. So it's, um, the bulls are just now starting to get out of their bachelor groups and they're just starting to look for cows. So it's, you have a lot of things working against you. Whereas you, you move into the full rut. Um, if you get a, if a bull has four or five cows with them, you can really work that bull. Huh? Yeah. I was just, it, you made me think a little bit. So I was literally digging back through some pictures to see a, a date on, on a hunt that dad and I had that was just so epic. Um, September 12th. <laughs> That's when that was just found that. Okay. Uh, just, there you go. Oh my gosh. It just was nonstop of which bull do we want to chase and had so many opportunities that just, yeah, it was, it was good. So yeah. Cause I found some success in that earlier season of, um, maybe that's me not being a very good elk caller and uh, as they're, I, I seem to like to play around with them when they're pre grouping up and it's like this bulls with cows this day and then he's with no one the next day. And then it's just like this weird herd dynamic there. Like, I don't know what's going on. Who are you? And just trying to find out everything that's going on. So, it, um, maybe that was during that kind of 12th or so in the, in the previous years. But I mean, it's, You've got a lot of data there to go off of 200. Elk hunting, yeah, elk hunting is so weather dependent too. Like, um, you know, I kind of jokingly say the 18th is around the best time, but that could be moved up, you know, a week or week and a half if they've gotten cold. And then that gets gets the cows in asterisk as well as it gets the spurs that, you know, that I used to call it a kind of a chemical reaction that snaps when the weather turns cold, the, the elk, something happens in their brain that they just start going crazy and start bugling like nuts. Does your calling game plan or just your game plan when you've got an elk located, does that change from those different times in the season? Uh, no. Um, although if, 
if they're doing a lot of the vocalizations, then I don't have to. So I guess, yes, I said no, but I guess it, yes, it will. Because if they're very vocal, then I'm, I, I call very low. If they're not very vocal, then I'm actually very active in calling and trying to spur on, um, like early season, I'm really trying to, uh, I don't know if you turkey hunt. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm assuming you do. If you live yeah, down in the bit. States, I, I absolutely love turkey hunting and, and, and elk hunting and turkey hunting are so similar in the, just in the, the way you hunt them, you know, you got to call them and, you know, you, you know, all the things they're very vocal and they call back and, and I, I, I say this a lot and I really mean it that elk, react a lot like a turkey in the sense you know like a turkey you can shock gobble them right you mm-hmm. you do you do a predator call or you do something where they where they shock or they gobble at you that you can locate them and elk are no different like if you if i walked into a an area that i knew had elk and i but i didn't know where they were and i let out a really big bugle and i get an instant reaction what I call that is a shock bugle. It's, it's, it's all of a sudden there's another elk or what they think is another elk in their area. And they bugle back at me. Soon as I do that, if they're very vocal, I let them do most of the work. And then I try to, I try to get in close. But if, if they're already bugling and I'm in an area where I know that they are, then I just will try to seduce them with a cow call and get in close and, uh, and then primarily with archery, if they're really vocal, then you have the advantage of sneaking in on them, petting you got a, a cow or somebody that doesn't bust you, and you can bring them to you to finish them with a cow call. And um, so, yeah, I mean, if if they're not calling much, I do a lot. I'm very, very vocal. But if they're calling um, quite a bit, then I generally don't call at all. And, well, I, I cow call is what I do. I've noticed that, I'll, with those really vocal elk, I'll, I'll, I'll know where they're at. I mean, it's obvious. You know where they're at. And then once you, once I start to make a play on them and I haven't seen them and I can't, I can't visualize any direction they're moving. And I'm thinking early mornings, uh, in my main spot that I really like to go, uh, I don't have a, and to give you a little background on this, I don't have a really good camping spot because otherwise I mean, I need to get in there. It's it's just, just elk everywhere, elk all around. So it's not a great spot. I try and put it on the edge of the private and public away from kind of where I'm headed in the day. Um, but I'll wake up, kind of see where these bugles or sounds are coming from and do exactly that. Get it, get close, get as close as I can. And when I can't see them, I often see, it seems like they're just continually moving away and away and away yeah. and further away. And I've never been able to figure that one out. Like wind's good. They wouldn't still be slowly, slowly bugling, walking away. If they smelt me, if they smelt me, they'd be gone. So <laughs> I'm not sure quite kind of what the, that's always kind of perplexed me. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on. And it's been multiple. I think it's just, I think that <laughs> as soon as, as soon as, um, you know, day breaks, they're, they're always on the move. And so that's what you said is very, very typical of what they do. Like, um, soon it almost seems like instantly the sun kind of, you know, you start to see this, the sunlight or daylight, mm-hmm. the elk are moving to their bedding areas instantly. So, um, 
I that happens quite a bit here in Saskatchewan with the elk that we have. They um, we have a lot of farmland that they come out into, and then they move off into the their bedding areas. And what I tell everybody there is, you know, rather than bugle to them right first thing, think you know, pattern them and then try to intercept them as they're moving. Because if they're not being harassed or if they're not being educated with other hunters, you know, bugling at them, generally you can kind of pattern what direction they're going to go. And then I always tell everybody just simply um, ambush them. And then uh, is they're going to, if a bull is bugling and he's not being overly pressured, he's going to call the whole way. It doesn't matter if he's moving or if he's like, rarely are they moving off silent unless they've been educated by other hunters. Uh, and then if that's the case, then you, you just physically have to try to intercept them as opposed to calling, you know, vocally. But, uh, yeah, I, if I were you, I would move off to where in, in between them and where their bedding area is and just wait for them. And one of those things is places is a, so the country I hunt is, is, um, kind of the high desert of Colorado. So it's, um, Aspen pockets, but pretty open, um, with that, all the sage and then, the, the bigger, taller brush like trees, the service berry and, and choke cherry trees and all that stuff. Um, and I noticed I, I got that pattern down on the ridge over. It's just always getting there. It's knowing which draw they want to drop into. There's a series of four draws, and it's always tricky to figure out which one they're going to come up and over and drop down into. And that top ridge line is so bare and open that I've kind of figured out how I need to access it. So it is a get up really early so I can get in there because it's probably two or three miles just to get to that point. Um, and get there as that sun is coming up because they're already there. As soon as you can see, they're there in that open, uh, ridge line. And there's just that small little distance between that open ridge line and the thick Aspen pockets. And then once they go in that Aspen, those, those, that bedding area, then they're, they're there and they disappear or they stay there for the day. So that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's, that's very, very typical of what they do. And, uh, you know, historically you catch them, you know, within 15 minutes of getting to that bedding area, like you, you see them on the hillside and then they're gone. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, it's driving me nuts. I'm not going to be in there this year. It's absolutely killing me because I know that there's some really good bulls and I keep running through series after series of things we've done there and, and with the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and I can visualize a couple of monster nice, really nice <laughs> bulls that uh, <coughs> got away. Um, so it, it's bothering me I don't have a little redemption uh, this year. And my, my dad is getting a little older, and he's wanting to – we're going to go in there next year for sure. Um, but just having a four-month-old, this was not the year for that to happen. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt.
At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. But, right. um, yeah, so let's uh, look at, say, uh, a more detailed look at um, we got them vocalized, or they are vocal. Um, no, let's make them not so vocal, just a few bugles here and there. And as you're approaching, like, what what kind of calls, what kind of uh, a detailed approach, and maybe that's an example from a previous year. Uh, well, if they're not overly vocal, what I, um, what I try to do is, well, uh, whenever any elk that I've, that I hear being vocal, I try to assess what kind of a state of mind, if that makes any sense that they're in. So generally what I'll do is if I hear an, uh, an elk bugle, uh, obviously I want to try to pinpoint the area it's at, but I also want to see if it's if it's whistling lots, but in this, in your scenario, you're saying it's not. So then I want to see what it is receptive to. So I will generally, um, cow call first back to it. And if it, if he doesn't reply, then I know that I have, I'm, I'm in for a little bit tougher of, of a go because if he doesn't reply to a cow call right away, then, um, I will try to, um, sort of bump them with a, with a bull call. And if he calls then, then I know I've got a fairly, um, you know, aggressive bull. And then, um, so that's kind of what I do. Like I, I, I try to spur them on to, um, to decide what kind of state of mind are they, they are receptive to the cow or the bull, because, um, if they just call sporadically, it's very, very difficult to, to make a stock on them because you could step on them and not even know that they're there. Um, so I always try to assess where they're at. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. We, I was on a big, uh, six by six hunt last year with a guy and, uh, the wind was just howling and, uh, I had never hunted in that area. He just called to, to see if I, he got, he got drawn in a, in a really good area. So he asked if I could come and call for him. So we got out of the truck and we, it was a couple mile hike to where the, the elk were. And I bugled and instantly that bull bugled back. So that's a good indication that, okay, he, he knows that there's possibly another bull there. I cow called. He didn't, um, he didn't call back so i'm like oh okay well that's unusual but it might not be overly unusual if he's got a bunch of cows which turns out this bull did so then um we snuck in a little closer i bugled bang he bugled back and then once i did that um i'm like you know there's no need for me to keep calling to this bull he is basically announcing now where he's at even though he wasn't overly uh aggressive with his calling every time i called he called back so all i'm doing is not trying to call him in per se as to more to locate his position so that I can make a plan. And it just turns out that we come over the rise and he's standing right there um, at 200 yards in just outside the trees with a bunch of cows and the guy shot him and it made a good shot. But hmm. um, generally what I try to do is I try to call to him so that I can make a plan because if they don't call at all, then 
you are, especially our training, then you're really in, in, in a, in a tough hunt. Like how are you going to get them if they're not being vocal? So if they are calling a little bit, locate them and then we got to try work. We have to decide, is he going to answer to me as a bull or is he going to answer to me as a cow? And we, we all know that elk bugles can sound like everybody else's voice. I mean, you got, everybody sounds a little different, so elk can sound a little different. Uh, but what are some of those things that you've picked up on to tell the mood, like you're saying of their behavior? Have you picked up on, um, I mean, obviously if someone really rips, you can tell when they're pissed and they're mad, but is there anything else that you've picked up on that's, that's, uh, a indicator of their mood or, or kind of receptive, not just to a cow or a bugle, a uh, cow call or a bugle. We know how they're responding there, but, um, a little more detail say on, on what that, uh, yeah. It, it picking up on any kind of other clues in their, in their voice. Yeah. You know, like that's a great question because that's a, that's an essentially what I'm doing when, uh, I'm calling to the bulls. I'm trying to figure out what he's thinking. And generally, you know, it, it, it comes down to, um, is he bugling at you? Because if he's bugling at you, then you have his full attention and he's trying to locate where that sound is coming from, which is good. But generally what happens is, is do you get a bull calling and he calls back to you? You almost get that bugle where you know that he's walking away. And, and because they, it, it's what I call directional calling there, you know, you can always tell when he's bugling away from you or bugling at you. So if he's bugling, if he answers and then all of a sudden the next bugle, you clearly could tell that he's bugling away from you. There's a good chance that he's moving his cows or he's moving off. And that's when I really start to go after him. And I always tell people or my hunters that I've guided over the years is if I get an elk bugling at that and he's moving away at some point, I will, I will pressure him so much that he will show himself. So meaning I go right after him and I start aggressively cow calling on him until he'll turn around and you say it yourself, you know, when they're mad, he, you, you just keep, you just keep pressuring him and he'll keep calling back until there's a point where you'll be able to know where he will actually be coming to you. So you're going to him cow calling the whole way until uh, or bugling whichever is working at that time until he's turning you and then he'll be calling in your face once you do that then you really have to pick your uh what you're doing because um if he's coming at you you want to be hidden as best you can because they're looking for that spot like unlike us when something calls we just kind of say oh it's coming off from the right they can actually pinpoint the tree that that's coming from so the difference is is you have to be ready so if they're moving away from you, um, you just keep pressuring them, pressuring them, pressuring them until they're bugling back in your face. Then you know that you've got a bull that's committed. And, and, um, I've, I just love that. I just love, you know, um, pressuring a bull, pressuring a bull, and it might take, you know, 45 minutes. It might take an hour. Um, that's why the morning hunts are so more productive because you can really pressure them. And then, all of a sudden it's like a, a switch flips and he'll change his tone when he's also ready to commit to you when he's going to, when he has to see you. And I, I, I use that has to, because when a bull starts to scream at you, it's like, they need to see what you are you know, what you are doing. They have to find that, that uh, cow or whatever it is. And they yeah, literally stop bugling. And they start screaming. Once you're at that point, you know, you're gold. Huh. 
Yeah, uh, and I was I looked at the word pinpointing as as you were saying that and I wrote it down because that's where I get in trouble also of them knowing my location. So when when you know that they are coming in, this it lasts hundred yards. Hundred yards is where I'm the weakest. <laughs> I guess that's the majority of the hunt. <laughs> um, so in that last hundred yards, trying to not and I do a lot of solo hunts. Um, not to allow them to get me pinpointed, I'm stuck there, or it's that hang-up zone. What's your What's your advice for um, when they do know where you are because you're vocalizing as well, um, and they're pinpointing you? Uh, are you moving? So, um, a good. What I say What I say to that scenario, I can give you a quick story about that yeah. exact scenario. Yeah. Do it. So I'm with my good friend. We're in Wyoming. And, uh, we got, we had this bull exact same scenario. He was walking away, walking away. Finally, he turned, you could tell that he was bugling now in our face. And I remember saying to my buddy, Wayne, I said, we have to be behind that tree right there because that's where he's going to come out is, you know, just, just up from that tree. I said, we have to be at that tree. And because I could tell the way he was bugling, that that was the exact spot. So, um, what I tell people to do and what I do is I will steer them now, panning the wet, uh, the wind, of course, but if let's assume you're in the bush, you don't have a ton of wind. I start to directional call. So I'm steering them to where I want. So the, the few archery hunters that I have guided, I've all called where we've, I've dr- driven the bull right past the archery hunter because of the way you call and that that's just directional calling that's using your hand to direct you know direct it project your call to this to the side because i they really do know how to pinpoint like if if you are standing by a tree and you're calling and all of a sudden that bull shows himself he is staring right into you they know exactly where that's coming from but if you directional call they can't do that, right? Because um, if you're projecting off to the left, they're going to steer off to the left. And one thing about elk is if they don't try to get your wind, they're going to come right to the spot where you're calling. That's always something I've been curious about just because I've been directing my calls. Like, I wonder if this works. <laughs> I just don't know. It's like, I feel like this should be bringing them or sending, making it sound like I'm over there. Uh, so that's good to hear that, uh, <laughs> Got something right there, um, and then the- and another and another thing that you can another thing you can do um, that once they're close, like where they're within forty yards, and you some you know sometimes you'll be within forty yards and you still can't see them because of the, whatever trees you're you're hunting in. Mm-hmm. But what you can also do is call directly away from you because that what that's doing is now it's it's directing your call like you're leaving and now he's going to have to come it all it all it's doing is is kind of alleviating his anxiety about how close he is to you so if so quite often what i'll do is i'll turn my head around and i'll i'll cow call directly away and he can still hear that but at least it's to, it it's it's projecting it like i'm going the other way hmm. yeah I feel like sometimes, and I mean, I will never. I'll, I, I, I'm. A, I will never. I will never bugle at a bull within a hundred yards, uh, like because um, there's, in my opinion, there's no such thing from 
like human as a, as a quiet bugle. And so if I bugle at a bull and he's within a hundred yards, um, I just feel like now I'm challenging that bull to a fight and nine out of 10 times, they're just going to stop what they're doing. And, and so I might call to a bull that's 200 yards away, but then I could also make up by, by booking it towards him. But if he's within a hundred yards and you know how still it is in the, in the trees, if I bugle at a bull and he bugles back, there's a good chance that he's just going to stop right where he's at. So you'll never see me bugle at a bull under a hundred yards. I just won't do it. I'll just keep seducing him with a cow call. And so that's what you're seeing is those, uh, bugling under hundred and they're hanging up and just kind well, of staring. Yes. At because be, be, so, and, and the reason for that is, is elk are notorious. They want to be lovers, not fighters. Now, um, we all know that of course elk fight and they fight lots, but the problem is, is, um, the majority of the time they want to mate and they don't want to necessarily fight. And so if you're in tight to a bull that's actually calling there, I never bugle to them because I want them to be relaxed. I want them to want to breed or think that there's another cow. I mean, the beauty thing about cow calling is you can have five different calls on you. You know, they make so many different manufacturers make so many different cow calls and you can use your mouth reads that you can project that there's a, a small little herd of cows, but you can't do that with a bull. And then when you, when you bu- bugle at a bull, you only, you're only saying one thing, Hey, I'm here to steal your cows or I'm here to fight you. And if, if he doesn't want to fight, um, there's a good chance that he's going to stop or he's going to move away from you. So I, I personally, just I've seen guys call like bugle to, to bulls that are in close and it just shuts down the hunt right now. Like they just don't want to, they, I mean, there are times and I mean, people listening to this are probably like, Oh, you're full of crap. I've had bugle. And I'm not saying that they won't come to a bugle call. I'm just saying I personally won't do that. Cause I, I think they, that they want to breed, not necessarily fight. Um, yeah, I kind of like, uh, got this little bite call thing it's got an external read to it but uh it just sounds i I like the way it sounds and then and i get a couple of those different read ones and then my my diaphragm calls as well kind of my my go-to so um yeah those are you know i've been using i've been using the same call since oh i'm trying to think here i want to say 1997 I've been using the same soft bite since 1997 and I just went and grabbed it here and I'll just, uh, um, I'm not overly sure it'll sound very good to the phone, but I've been using the same call and you know, <clears throat> I've called in hundreds of bowls with that call and that's the one I use exclusively for, um, locating my bowls. And once, and then of course, once I get them calling with that, then I move to my mouth read once they get in close. Okay. But I just love the soft bites for that exact reason. They're so easy to use. I've had some question on that. Uh, my dad has one. One of my best friend has one. It's that little green one with that you bite. It sounds really high pitch and whiny, but yet I've seen it work. 
Uh, yep. I I just I struggle with it. Is that and, and maybe and that's what it kind of sounded like. What you had too is just a nice. It's really high pitched, but um, is that imitating a cow pretty well and not just a younger younger cow? Or you know, to be honest with you, um, it it doesn't. It does not sound like a uh, you know like your normal cow talk. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I can think of is <clears throat> it's it's a vocalization maybe when they're starting to be an estrus because this one here. That's more your asterisk raspy. It's not, um, not like that one. And, um, I'm not, uh, I don't know what it is, but I've been, that's been around my neck since 1997 and it's been on every hunt since then. And to this day, that is my go-to like, uh, my mouth reads, I can sound just like a cow elk. Like, there's no issue with that at all, but I just find that is, um, I get more response from that. And another thing that I can do with that one in particular is I can also put it in my tube and, and I can blow my tube and I just don't know what it is. Like that big bull elk that we um, got last year, that's the cow call that it, it, uh, answered to. Now we didn't have to bring that bull in overly close because, he was standing out in the open, but uh, had we got it close, I would have used that until he'd have been within a certain range, and then I'd just move to my mouth read. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times, but explain what you can about using that using your bugle tube. Are you just reaching out a little further? Does that change like the dynamics of the the vocalization you're doing, saying something different? Um, just reaching out further. What is it? Yeah, it's 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 just projecting uh, vocalization a little um, a little farther. Um, one thing that I do different than some guys is I don't um, like you know when most people cow call they're very quiet and very you know rear 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 and I'm like how in the er- world are you supposed to an elk two hundred yards away is going to see hear that. I said, um, you need to do it loud. And that's why I do it into my, um, bugle tube. So I'm just trying to project it, you know, three times the distance that I would normally. And then as you get closer, obviously you don't need that, but yeah. Um, that's the, that's the only reason I do it. If I want to go from one Canyon to the next and I want a cow call, I, I'll remember all I'm trying to do is entice a response. I'm not trying to call them in at that point. I'm just trying to find them you know, pinpoint them so that I can make a plan to get at them. Uh, that's all I'm doing when I'm doing it. As soon as I got a bull calling, you know, our strategies are different, right? We're, um, you know, we, we got to play the wind. We have to um, move in on them. We have to call, you know, all that kinds of stuff. So I definitely wouldn't do that if I was, if they were fairly close to me. Well, awesome. Well, what's your lineup for the fall then? Uh, well, I'm, I was supposed to go archery hunting uh, or elk hunting here towards the end of the month, uh, but I don't think that's going to work out yet. Um, and then our rifle draw season starts for people that get, you know, in certain areas starts on the 15th. So I may um, go down. Like we, 
in the very southern part of the province, like close to the United States, we have these an area that um, have some of the biggest elk in North America, like 385, 400 type bulls. Hmm. And, uh, um, but they're very limited draw. And one of my friends from work got drawn down there. So uh, he's going to try for a 350 plus. So I might go down there and, and call for him. Oh man, that'd be uh, fun. I, think, I know, I know. I just love it. And you know, for myself, uh, I don't think I'm going to get out to archery elk now that things have kind of changed. Yeah. It's a bummer, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, anything else, like any other tags you think you're going to, you'll have or heading or doing more guiding then? No, I didn't get drawn for anything this year myself. So, uh, I'll basically just waiting for waterfall and, and upland season for myself. And then of course, whitetail, um, in October, I might go mule deer. We have some really good mule deer up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I might go archery mule deer once it opens up. Um, other than that, I'll just wait for whitetail and, and waterfall. Yeah. It's kind of, this is a depressing year for me because there's, I don't have a ton of big game hunting. Although, uh, the big bear I got this spring makes up for it. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) The thing is, uh, not just a pumpkin head, but it's at the end of the pumpkin patch where it's, they got the big ones. That's what that thing is. (laughs) You know, you know, you know that that bear is, I've, I've seen, you know, big bears harvested. That's nothing new, but this bear is 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 an anomaly like he really is uh once in a lifetime bear because like his head was so big like even i mean i know the skull was 22 and 5 sixteenths but it was way bigger than that like he had he had jowls on his cheeks like <laughs> if you can i don't know yeah. if you looked at the pictures yep, but he had jowls it. on his cheeks that stick out like just incredibly like he he truly is amazing and that's a spring bear like 550 pounds and imagine how big that bear was in the fall before he went into his den yeah that's something else my god so his official date i can get him officially b and c and pope and young um september 21st is the 60 days expired drying period so i've got him back he i got it beetles he looks beautiful i've got him he's sitting on my mantle but i have to wait till uh the 60 days are up to get him officially B and C, but I'm, I'm a hoping that he goes top 20, 25 in the world. That's how big he is. Oh man. Jeez. Yeah. That'd be I know, pretty sweet. I know, I'm <laughs> Did, uh, what are you thinking on uh shrinkage on him is, is I don't, I don't know how much those skulls change versus antlers in that drying you know, period. I, I don't know, but um, from what I say, like from what I heard, I got them beetled, so there was I didn't get the skull boiled. So um, there's not supposed to be a ton of shrinkage. I don't expect him to lose much more than, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping he doesn't lose anything, but it won't be much if he does. That's good. That's good. Uh, did you rug him, or what'd you do with him? Well, I. Um, he's in the freezer right now, but my plan is to get a full size mount of him. I mean, I have to, Oh yes. he, a a bear like that is, I have a three quarter mount bear in my house, but I'm going to have to make this guy, um, part of the, 
part of the, the part of the furniture. Um, bounce. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I have no idea where he's going to go. But oh, you just you you mount it. You decide. You take it there, and once you get it back, that's when you figure it out. I mean, that's yeah. That's I tell reality. I tell my friends I'm going to build a house around them. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's so exciting. I, I'm I'll, I'll look forward to to seeing that, seeing a picture. I'm sure you'll you'll post something, and um, as that kind of comes around, how see if that scores as well as you're hoping. So, um, but if you wouldn't mind, just plug where people can find you, keep up with your your seminars and things that you put on, um, and, and just stay in touch with, with how they can learn from you. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, um, I am very active on social media, so I have fair, I have, I have a few Facebook pages. Like, of course my, my real name, Marcus Simons is my personal one. Uh, anybody can get him hold of me there, but I have, uh, I have a channel kind of like what you have a little bit of a podcast called all outdoors with Muck Simons. And, uh, I, I've been with Cabela's for the last eight years as a pro staffer and I have a pro staff page, uh, Cabela's pro staff, Muck Simons. So, uh, YouTube, YouTube is all outdoors with Muck Simons. Try to video if I can, as much as I can, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, I do all this stuff. So try to make other people successful and better at that. Um, so if anybody has any questions or, anything like that. Like I said, I've been doing the elk seminars for about 25 years now. It's something I really love doing. I mean, um, here's the crazy thing about for me in elk hunting and that people might laugh. I've never shot an elk myself. And, uh, and so I've guided for hundreds of them. And I used to keep track when I was a guide, I used to keep track and I've traveled to Arizona, Montana, Wyoming, all over North America, you know, helping guys call me and I've never killed one myself. But one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me was I was at a event in not too far from here and I was getting a drink and a guy tapped me on the shoulder. He says, Hey, you probably won't remember me, but I took in your elk seminar about 10 years ago. And he says, one of the tips you told me about is cow calling and then go after them. When they're hung up, you go after them. And he goes, I got myself a big five by five. And I said, you know, that's why I do what I do is to help other people. Cause he said that, you know, he'd hunted for years and never been successful. And just one little tip that he picked up from my seminar has made the difference. And you know, that's why I do it is to help other people. Well, then you are the perfect guest for this, this show. Cause that's exactly what, what, I'm all about, and this this little podcast in Western South Dakota is all about, and just sharing stuff and uh, talking hunting with people at nine thirty at night. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I love it too. Yeah, that's uh, and we were joking before how I, I was saying that that uh, apparently podcaster or people who listen to podcasts don't really tune in till August because it just blew up like over 50% more <laughs> downloads. It was like, come on guys, you need to be thinking about hunting way more than that. Way more than that. Ask my wife how much we talk about hunting or I talk about, I talk at her. Um, and it, it's enough for both of us. So for year round, yeah, I, so. I get, I get, I get that same thing. You know what I tell people, uh, at my seminars is calling elk is, so there's two, there's, two things there's calling for people and there's calling for wild animals and the people part are the you know the the professionals the world champion elk callers and stuff like that and i think i can call as good as them i might um i don't go in the competitions like they do but but 
the other side of it is calling for animals and animals don't care what you sound like. So I always tell people, um, fear missing out, um, over the fear of failure, meaning who cares what you sound like as long as you're trying, because an elk doesn't know the difference between you or, um, a wild elk. And so I always say fear, you know, missing out over fear, fear of failure, because that's probably one of the biggest things I get in my seminars is people want to learn to call, but they're scared to, or their friends maybe mock them when they're trying to. Wild elk don't care about that. Just do it. Get out there and call and try because before, you know, you could maybe in your opinion, sound terrible, but you might be successful and that's all that matters. So don't like, I hate when people say, I just would rather let somebody else call cause they're better. No man. Like you need to do it because they don't know that you don't sound bad. I bet that's even worse, worse than the duck blind. I, I think waterfowl hunters, you got your like one guy or two guys that blow on a call and everybody else just shuts up and you don't, you say a word, don't you say a word or so, don't you. So, that is true. And I'm not a very good waterfall caller and I'm trying to learn, but I'm not very good. And I will get snarled at lots when I'm called because it's funny. Waterfall hunters are, they, they think Passionate. that you have to be, you have to be perfect or else it's going to turn the birds away. And whereas I don't believe that, like I, I mean, an elk is a hundred yards away and you're whistling. It doesn't know that you're a human. It, it honestly has no idea. So like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like I'll be in a goose blind and I'll try calling. And next thing you know, I'll get a dirty look from my friends and say, stop calling. Well, how are you supposed to get any better? <laughs> you know, just that's like right. you're saying, it, it, that's where I, somewhere along those lines of in college doing the waterfowl hunting over in the prairie pothole region and going out elk hunting by myself that's where I learned my confidence and just going and doing it by myself and forgetting everybody else. And, and then, then that's come back and been more of a, uh, calling for other people, <laughs> just like you're, you're, and the only, other you're saying. Tip, only other tip, the only other tip I'll give people about bull calling is, is, um, learn to use a mouth read because, um, bull calling mouth reads, the vocalizations, um, are, once you learn to do it are a lot better. Um, and the, the tip I tell everybody when they're practicing is always, always practice with a tube because the sounds you make without a tube does not sound the same as when you have a tube. And even if, even if I picked up a reed, put it in my mouth right now and try to bugle with it, it would sound awful. But if you hand me a tube and do, I did that same call, it would sound real. And remember, you're trying to train your brain for the vocalizations. So whenever you, Whenever you uh, are doing it, cow calls are different. You can you don't need a tube for cow calls, but for bull calls, please, please use a tube. That's a good tip. Well, on that note, we'll uh, uh, end our podcast for this evening and and uh, um, let you get on with your evening. And I'm going to bed, <laughs> so that's that's my <laughs> yeah, game plan. I'm, I'm off till Monday. All right, I'm off till Monday. So. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks. So, thanks for the opportunity for the chat. And absolutely, uh, no, thank you. Good luck to everybody. Thank you. All righty. Well, thanks again, and we'll we'll chat chat with you another day. Brand new.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.